Hey everyone, how's it going? It's Jawad here with Hit The Apex Podcast. Thanks for tuning in this week as always. Sorry I'm a little late too. Normally, I guess, you know, most of you've got used to me doing it on a Wednesday or having the episode ready by Wednesday, but a little bit delayed this week, of course. Um, (laughs) If you guys keep up to date with um, all things Melbourne and everything, you would have heard that uh, we had most of our restrictions lifted this week or we've come out of the the hard lockdown um, and retail businesses and stuff like that were able to open up again including um, the company I work for so it's kind of been all systems go and yesterday was the first day back um, as a full-time trader and it was pretty intense I've got to say I had lots of fun you know and it's hard to say that oh you know being operating in a COVID kind of safe environment and all that sort of stuff doing the new cleaning procedures and everything is fun but what was fun is you know just seeing all the people out and about who have been cooped up all this time indoors and you know they were so friendly they were just full of energy and it it gave me a good sense of adrenaline too today today was the same you know it's been hard work no doubt and glad you know to have a day off tomorrow and everything but it's just you kind of feel like after all the lessons that we've learned, you know, during the lockdown and how to prevent this from, you know, uh, another outbreak kind of thing that we're, we're kind of on the right track and, you know, everyone, it was good to see everyone, you know, abiding by the rules as well, of course, you know, sanitizing upon entry, you know, wearing their masks and everything too, so couldn't say anything uh, bad. Had a couple of Karen-type personalities, but um, other than that, I think, you know, we we have uh, all the more reasons to, to reach for the top shelf, I think, um, at the end of the day, and if you don't know what that's in reference to, then, um, you know, look it up uh, <laughs> um, and probably put Dan Andrews' name next to that as well, something he said in the press conference um, on Monday, I believe, and yeah, you know, for... If we're going to talk motorsport, which, you know, of course is a motorsport podcast and I do kind of slice a bit of, <clears throat> you know, real life stuff in there as well, you know, what's going on um, behind the scenes and everything, then we've got 92 reasons to reach for the top shelf, you know, there we go, plug the title and everything as well, um, 92 being the new all-time record for wins in Formula 1, which was achieved by Lewis Hamilton over the weekend, dominant victory for him at Portugal, first Grand Prix that we had at the Algarve circuit, and you know, while people probably sit back and say, oh, Hamilton won, it was bad race, it was boring, oh, it was actually pretty eventful, you know, you look at the first few laps, it was a bit greasy out there, you know, Mercedes couldn't get their tyres up to temperature, they were on the mediums, and then you had Carlos Sainz starting from 7th on the grid, just bolting into the lead, it was like, what had happened? Well, I mean, was was there accidents, was there so much rain on there, where the hell did Sainz get all this grip from? And, you know, we had Carlos Sainz leading the first few laps of the race, and I'm like, yes, go McLaren, go! But, you know, alas, it wasn't meant to be. But going over the whole weekend, let's see how it all panned out. Well, not really the whole weekend, because we don't really have to talk about practice much, but Valtteri Bottas, he dominated pretty much all the way up until Q3, and that's where it kind of went wrong for him. He got one run, they kind of botched the strategy. He, you could say, botched the strategy a little bit for himself. He only got one run in Q3, whereas Lewis got two, and then on the second time of asking, Hamilton improved his lap time. He pulled one of those 
phenomenal laps out of the bag, you know, I guess a lot of people have a lot of bad things to say about Hamilton, you know, but when it comes to this raw speed kind of thing, yeah, he's still in the best car, but his teammate was quickest all weekend, and it really took a special lap for Hamilton to get the pole position on the day, put Bottas on the dirty line, which was the inside line too, a bit of a bizarre start overall, you know, it was a bit greasy, there was a bit of, you know, just quick passing shower that went past and everything, but, you know, for Valtteri, basically, yeah, you know, you thought he was having a good weekend, and it kind of goes awry from there. Now, in the race, he did get to lead at one point as well. He uh, got his tyres up to temperature by lap six and took the lead. He got his teammate in behind him, um, battle for the rest of the podium with Max Verstappen of course Max lost time he had his own problems which I will get to in a moment but as far as the win was concerned you had Hamilton basically by lap 20 able to overtake Bottas for the lead with DRS so you know both then pitted um, between laps 41 and 42 Valtteri wanted the soft tyres but that wasn't going to be uh, the case, the team put him on the same tyre as Hamilton, which was the hard compound tyre, and they basically had to settle for a 1-2 finish, so, you know, another bit of blow for Bottas, of course, you know, you want to see him win more races and everything, but you can't really fault the form that Hamilton's showing, you know, Hamilton pulled the lap out of the bag to get the pole position, and then in the race, even though he was behind for, you know, sort of the first portion of it, he ended up coming back and taking the lead off his teammate and won basically kind of like he did at the Nürburgring too so that sorts that out and you know we'll congratulate Lewis and everything and uh, you know a bit later on about the 92 wins it's kind of surreal thinking that we had this record for so long um, all the way back to 2006 91 wins and for someone I guess of my generation you know growing up in the you know, late 90s, early 2000s, you saw Schumacher's record as the gospel. You were like, okay, we're not going to see this broken for some time. And for it to be broken now, it's like, wow, wow. Is that going to be broken anytime soon? Hamilton's record in 92, because he might, he's still going to be going. I reckon he'll be, you know, the first driver to catch crack a hundred wins so will anyone be able to beat that anytime soon you know you look at names like Verstappen of course up there Leclerc if you know he can start something good at Ferrari but for what it is at the moment you know we've just all got to step back look at the bigger picture and appreciate it because it's not something you see every day but again you know that's a separate conversation for another time that I keep alluding to still haven't asked my mate yet actually if he wants to do this so probably better get on to him before <laughs> before we can do it and uh, good news we could probably even do it um, together in the one location rather than doing it online or whatever you know zoom or a zencaster as we do with um with other people when we do guests and everything but yeah do it in people you can have home visits now here so that's kind of exciting so yeah mercedes won two hamilton breaks the record um good for him bottas uh, you know what more can you say, really, than we have already said this year? Though, there's more to talk about, I guess, with Max Verstappen, and um, a bit disappointing, actually, uh, not just in the race, 
not the result, of course, but just his general behaviour. So, uh, free practice, there. he had a, some contact with Lance Stroll, of course. Lance Stroll's separate story to talk about this weekend. He was pretty out of sorts, I guess you could say. Just, you know, didn't seem to give a hoot about anything. Um, we know he came back, of course, after missing the Eiffel Grand Prix with um, the problems he had and testing positive to COVID straight after and then being cleared for this race he just didn't seem on it the whole weekend and you know even in the race he got into trouble with Lando Norris having contact and you know Stroll ended up with two lots of five second penalties for just continuously abusing track limits you know it was made clear to him by his race engineer don't don't exploit the curbs if you you're on your final warning didn't didn't seem to care and then yeah of course the contact with Lando Norris you know at the time I was ready to dismiss it as a racing incident but when you look back at the footage and everything just Stroll seemed very careless in that and that's you know not what you want to see when you've got the third fastest car on the grid and a lot of people basically baying for blood given the fact that you know he's get he gets to stay put at the team next year of course because it's um daddy owns the team or you know is on the board that uh, owns the team and then you got a guy like Sergio Perez who put in another amazing performance um, and, you know, that's basically made amazing thanks to the contact he had with uh, Max Verstappen early in the race. So Max finding all the racing point cars over the weekend. But going back to Max, I guess, making contact with Stroll, it was definitely, you know, Stroll was in the way, it was his fault kind of thing, but it was what followed as far as the language, you know, he used on the team radio. Now, I know team radio is, you know, generally, most of the time it ends up being private conversation between the driver and his um, engineer and everything, but, you know, on the odd occasion they will broadcast it, and this time Max kind of fell unlucky, you know, and um, the language he used, obviously, with me not doing expletives in the podcast, I'm not going to repeat, but it was pretty offensive when you think about the context in which um these comments get taken these days you know of course and uh i can understand why people are upset about it and you know this isn't the first time that Verstappen has used this sort of language and i know in the heat of the moment um you'll say whatever comes into your head but you're being paid you know handsomely to drive formula one cars you are a superstar you are adored by millions of fans over the world a lot of them of course might fall into this demographic of people who you know might have disabilities you know there might be a particular race of person and if you are going to use commentary that of course you know isn't directed at them but used to describe someone else then that's unacceptable and I'm going to speak from experience not that the comments offended me directly of course but me as someone who has had to grow up with a lot of ableist slurs used against me you know the slur basically Verstappen used and some other nastier crap as well it's like okay if someone does someone in that same situation does feel you know, heartfully offended by it, and for Max to say, it's not my problem afterwards, when he was asked to, you know, apologise for it, then that's the kind of behaviour that, you know, I just see as being, you know what, you're a bit of a brat, you should reel yourself in, like, in that instance when we're talking about human being to human being, it's like, I don't care if you're a race winner or you drive for Red Bull or whatever, you need to watch your language because you're up on a pedestal for some people 
and that's just unacceptable. If it was just, you know, different context, you know, no one knows who you are, it's not broadcast on live television, then I guess we wouldn't be talking about it, would it? But, you know, for someone who considers himself to be everything that he's cut out to be, I thought it was just a bit, you know, pathetic, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. Um, doesn't take away the fact that Stroll was in the wrong as well in the incident. Um, that would have upset Max, of course, led him to say that sort of thing. And then, of course, he got in um, a bit of hot water with Checo in the race too. Verstappen still ended up finishing third, so his run of podiums continue. He's been great on track this year, you know, as far as his performance and everything is concerned. But I've got to say, you know, the commentary, the fact that this is not the first time he's been caught using this sort of language... It is a bit, yeah, you know, it doesn't fly well with me, especially when you've got the sport and the FIA promoting this whole We Races One initiative and everything and trying to promote uh, promote equality and inclusivity and everything like that. And Max has basically gone and excluded or vilified two groups of people that, you know, fall under that umbrella. So, you know do a better job, I guess, you know, I guess it's up to the FIA to have come down on him, given some kind of punishment and everything, if Max wants to cry about it, go cry about it, dude, because, you know, this is what you're trying to promote, you are there as a promotional tool, as well as, you know, to drive cars fast, that's the world we live in, so, yeah, I'll leave it at that, I'm sure if people want to, you know, get in touch and be like, oh, you know, why are you being so... Um, PC about it and everything, it's like, well, if F1's trying to do the whole we race is one thing, then this totally goes against it, but then also, if you want to say I'm being PC, try being in my boat, growing up, getting that kind of um, commentary about uh, my abilities and things I can and can't do and everything, so then we can have that chat, Um, would love to hear someone bring me up on that, because yeah, you know, I'm not going to tolerate it for a second. Anyway, before before I lose my cool, <laughs> let's move it on now. So third for Verstappen, great result. Checo, though, ended up at the back of the field um, early in the race, and he had an amazing race of recovery, came back to finish P7, of course. He earned the driver of the day plaudits as well. Ahead of them, you had a lonely or a letter, sorry, ahead of Checo, you had a lonely Charles Leclerc in fourth, so um, Ferrari running some upgrades on the car and seemingly working really well for Leclerc too, so qualified fourth, finished fourth, even though it was a lonely result. I guess, you know, some positive signs to be taken from that side of the garage, even though for Sebastian it was a bit of a miserable weekend again, you know, not qualifying in Q3, and then also basically just spending the whole race fighting Kimi Raikkonen and ended up stealing a point out of it. You know, Kimi, a whole other thing about Kimi, he made an awesome start from 16th to 6th. It was like vintage Iceman watching him do that. And then he uh, ran a really long stint on the medium tyre at the e in the second part of the race, 54 laps. And that's basically what allowed Seb to come back and take 10th off him. So, you know, Ferrari in the points. But again, Seb's just a whole other kettle of fish and it, it almost you know I was having a chat to this about uh having a chat about this to a mate the other day too about how it's almost like a parallel with um Andrea Di Vizioso at Ducati you know you know that 
he's not going to be there next year. It's a bit of a loveless marriage, and you know the divorce is just going to be a slow, acrimonious one. And it's just you know the results are not coming. Is it you know lack of motivation or the team's not putting in? It's it's really sad to see. And you know Seb, we can hate on Seb. People can hate on Seb, give him grief and everything. But he's still a four-time world champion. He's still won 53 Grand Prix as well. You know he's on that list which Lewis is as far as you know being the most winningest drivers in the sport is concerned. Yeah, he didn't get the job done, but. If he's still on the grid, you don't want to see him just lingering around where he is, you know, and especially in a Ferrari as well, because as much as I'm not, you know, a big Ferrari fan, you know, all the fans that are there, they don't want to see their cars, you know, running around in 10th, but, you know, again, it's not as bad as the plunging depths at which McLaren found themselves a few years ago, so, you know, I keep bringing that up how, you know, if a McLaren fan like myself and many others can survive through that sort of period, then I'm sure Ferrari can get through this little period as well, where they haven't won a world championship since 2007, a driver's title, that is. Anyway, moving it on, um, three-way battle for P5, which is quite interesting too, and um, Checo was in that P5 right until the end of the race, where Pierre Gasly and Carlos Sainz were able to come in and overtake him. So Gasly, amazing drive again. He's doing himself all the favours in the world this year. He easily, if I were to give you a top five list of, you know, my favourite drivers this year as far as, you know, performance is concerned, then, of course, Pierre Gasly would easily be in that, you know, the win in um, in Monza. He's now been re-signed by Alpha Tauri for next year, and I think that's a good thing, you know, the fact that we're not going to shoehorn him into a Red Bull seat straight away, I think the chemistry between Gasly and Alpha Tauri works very well, you know, albeit they won kind of in under freakish conditions where, you know, it was, it was a red flag race, and you know, there was all sorts of um, permutations that brought about the win, he's put in some pretty solid performances this year, and you know, Totally outperforming his teammate too, Danny Kvyat, who I feel like perhaps may not be um, retained by AlphaTauri next year, especially with the likes of Yuki Tsunoda um, available and, you know, last year the Honda deal too. So, you know, again, Gasly amazing. Carlos as well signs uh, sixth, more points for McLaren, but of course with Racing Point still ahead of him in the Constructors' Championship, and then Renault, of course, finishing in 8th and ninth. so not as good as what they've been in previous races. Um, they took a gamble with Esteban Ocon, going along on the first stint, and uh, basically didn't pit him till lap 53, but... Um, if it wasn't for the bad pit stop, of course, uh, it was a bit fumbled, they would have actually finished a bit further up. So, you know, still double points for Renault, but um, that uh, strategy gamble didn't pay off because of a bad pit stop at the end of the day. So a little bit of an inconsistency there for them, but I'm sure, you know, with that battle so tight as it is at the moment, with only like less than 10 points separating those three teams, it's, you know, anyone's guess at the moment, and, you know, fingers crossed for me, it's still going to be McLaren um, that comes out at the end of the year, and then, yeah, for Norris, as I mentioned earlier, it was bad luck, he ended up just finishing down in 13th, so the points not really coming in for Lando, he had a um, slow puncture as well that forced an extra pit stop at the end of the day, while Stroll ended up not finishing the race race, um, nothing was apparently wrong with the car, even though there was damage from that contact with Lando, they did fix the front wing, but nothing was fundamentally wrong with the car, it's just the team told him to park it, because he was just 
possibly driving too poorly. Who knows? And then you got to say Alex Albon. You know, it, it kind of pains me to say this because, you know, I've been sticking up for Albon for quite some time now and saying, you know, he should be given a chance. You know, Red Bull need to try and work a little bit more with him. You know, just get around him or whatever. That car is very much, you know tuned up for Verstappen, it's all about Max and everything, but Albon, you know, just kind of not doing himself any favours, really, he qualified well, he qualified better, which was in P6 this time, but finished in P12 in the race, he was lapped by Max, he ended up having to take two stops, you know, as well, where everyone else did one stop, so, you know, Christian Horner, the team principal, did say, you know, um, Portugal and Imola would be the races that Albon has to use to earn his position at Red Bull next year and with all the bells tolling around the likes of Nico Hülkenberg and Max Verstappen sorry not Verstappen uh, Perez you wonder if um, Albon's going to be there next year and it's you know again we could do a whole another episodes about the failing of the Red Bull Young Drivers program how all these drivers that you know their names are not Max Verstappen or Sebastian Vettel um, they kind of get done by the wayside, or sorry, Daniel Ricciardo even, but um, Ricciardo, I guess, didn't even get his chance to fulfill um, his ambition of winning a championship with Red Bull, so it's very one-sided, it seems, the whole program, and, um, you know, for fighting for the Constructors' Championship, hopefully, if they bring someone like a Hulkenberg on board, it's going to be great, um, and they can challenge Mercedes, they can put um, Mercedes under pressure for strategy and everything as well by having two cars up there like Mercedes do all the time but um, you know at the same time it's like well you've put a lot into this guy Albon you know and you didn't really give him the time to perform or you have now but isn't there problems on the car side too so it's just it's a whole funny situation and you know I feel like now as much as we have stood up for him and as much as I have, you know, come out and defended him, said that he's the man that needs to be backed and everything, I feel like, you know, Portugal was a real letdown. So, you know, he's got um, Imola basically to prove us wrong. You know, if he comes out, finishes on the podium or even wins the race, you know, not not saying he will or anything, or that it's possible. But um, if the opportunity's there, he needs to grab it by the horns and um, see if he can win that ride for next year because otherwise it seems someone like a Hulkenberg will get there. Uh, Perez, probably not. You know, he seems more likely to end up at Williams now, apparently, with George Russell potentially on the outer, which is a big, big blow, and I'm sure a lot of people are upset about that. But at the same time, it's like, you know, they're not going to let go of Latifi. Um, the team, even though they've got their new backers from Doralton yeah, Capital, um, they still need, you know, sponsorship money and perhaps an experienced driver, which Perez can bring for you. Um, Latifi, of course, as well, you know, handy with the funds and everything. So where does the room... Um, where is the room for Russell, unfortunately? So it might end up being out of the category for next year you know I guess the same thing happened to Esteban Ocon you know when you look at um, him taking a year out of course in 2019 uh, when Lance Stroll went over to Racing Point so you know 
it's funny it happens to the Mercedes junior drivers always um, which Ocon was one and uh, now is over at Renault so yeah where did he finish in the race I don't even remember Russell finishing in the race well he did finish the race but don't recall where he did you know still I just you know he still hasn't scored those points yet, you know, it's like, he's missed a Saturday, he gets the qualifying done, he finished 14th in the race, there you go, but still, you know, his teammate is ahead of him in the Drivers' Championship, so he just needs to get the points to, to, I guess, prove the doubters wrong and everything, and then we did have news, actually, <laughs> I was just looking at where, you know, the Haas cars finished, and we did have news um, late last week, that both Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen were to be out next year, so that was made official. Haas haven't confirmed who their replacements will be, of course, so, you know, and you can tell with the performances we saw from both drivers over the weekend that it's like, yeah, we don't really care anymore. Um, Grosjean, perhaps that's it it for him in F1. I reckon it's most likely he'll end up in the World Endurance Championship with Peugeot, of course, who are coming back with their hypercar project. Uh, Kevin Magnussen, possibly as well, into endurance racing, and it'd be nice to see him tie up with his dad, of course, uh, Jan Magnussen, who races for uh, with the Corvettes over in the IMSA Championship, and they do come over to Le Mans every year too. But Magnussen, you know, he's always... Um, I think back to 2015, and he was um, on the cusp of, you know, making his IndyCar debut, of course, 2015, the year he was demoted um, to allow Fernando Alonso to join Jensen Button over the, at the team in McLaren, uh, McLaren-Honda, first year of the project, but then his move to IndyCar was kind of torpedoed by Ron Dennis at the time, because... Um, he needed Magnussen to be the reserve driver all year and um, said you can't do anything else if you do. And then got the call up for the Australian Grand Prix because Fernando Alonso was um, injured at the time uh, from testing, I think it was. It was something because he missed a couple of... Yeah, yeah, it was the testing crash that year that um, Alonso missed out on the Australian Grand Prix for. And didn't even start the race because the car broke down on the outlap. So, you know, for that... Um, Magnussen had to pass on an IndyCar opportunity and then basically sat the rest of the year out too and then made his full time and come back to F1 for Renault and there is some high profile seats I think still up in for grabs in IndyCar I kind of uh, was thinking about this while trying to go to bed the other night you know this is where you know you get your best ideas you know when you when you you know, half asleep at three o'clock in the morning or you're trying to get to bed listen to a podcast or something um, and Felix Rosenquist uh, is leaving the Chip Ganassi team next year. for next year. He's going to end up at the Arrow McLaren team. Unfortunately, we couldn't get Magnussen back at McLaren in IndyCar. So why not a seat for Magnussen at Chip Ganassi, of course? You know, Chip Ganassi has had some awesome European drivers over the recent years. Of course, Rosenquist being one of them, uh, Swedish gun. Marcus Ericsson is there. He got signed up for another year too in the Husky chocolate car. Of course, Chip Ganassi with Scott Dixon winning his sixth title as well over the weekend at St. Pete. I'm going to talk a bit more about that later because, you know, we got Scott McLaughlin's first weekend in IndyCar to talk about as well. But um, there was something about uh, Chip Ganassi possibly running four cars next year because at the moment with Ericsson, Dixon, 
and Jimmy Johnson coming over from NASCAR, making his debut in IndyCar next year. That's three cars, so there could be a possibility that Chip ends up uh, running a fourth car, and why not put someone like Magnussen in there? He would be perfect for IndyCar, you know, elbows out racing and all that sort of thing, so, you know, could be could be a good deal, you know, if I nail it, then wow. But yeah, definitely unlikely we'll see Grosjean in um, F1 next year and Magnussen looking very unlikely. But don't rule it out. Could be something um, at the last minute and hopefully ahead of this weekend's Emilia-Romagna race we might get some confirmation as to who might be filling those seats at Haas. And I actually forgot, you know, a few weeks ago I was saying about, oh, you know, I'm so glad we don't have any doubleheaders um, for the rest of the year until... Uh, the two Bahrain races, and then Abu Dhabi at the end of the season. And here we are, where we've got the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix at uh, Imola. Imola returning to the calendar, of course, first time since 2006 this weekend. And I guess what kind of, you know, my mind skipped over it is the fact that it's the two-day weekend kind of thing. We've got that, you know, 90-minute practice session on Saturday, go straight into qualifying, you know, normal three-stage qualifying, and then race on Sunday. And given that this is a circuit that none of the drivers apart from Kimi Raikkonen has raced at in an F1 car, I think it's going to be a bit of a challenge. It's, you know, tricky circuit is Imola. 63 laps, I think, they're doing for the weekend or for the race itself. Um... <laughs> and just you know a lot of people of course feel certain memories of that place you know when you think back to 1994 you know, I've already seen some photos being posted by I think like some Will Buxton and everything who were at the track the uh, memorial to Roland Ratzenberger of course and uh, Etten Centre as well on that dark day or dark weekend I should, I should say the San Marino Grand Prix in 1994 so What's this weekend going to throw up, of course? Who knows? Hopefully it's a good race. I don't, you know, whenever I've driven the Imola track on, you know, the video games, I haven't been much of a fan. I just don't like some of the stop-start nature of the corners. It's not as fast and flowing as I'd like it, you know, like uh, Algarve is. But, you know, it's a neat little track. You know, we've got three races in Italy this year. It's got the undulations. It's fast in some areas, of course. Um corners like Tamburello, not as quick as they used to be um, since the tragic death, of course, of Senna, and they've put a chicane in there, but I think it's still going to be exciting and good race to look forward to. Not much of a form guide I can offer either, but um, hopefully let's be surprised with the uh, two-day format too. So quickly, before I turn off the F1 stuff for this week, um, confirmation just popped up on my screen that um, Sauber will continue their partnership with Alfa Romeo, so they will still be known as Alfa Romeo Romeo Racing um, into next year. So that's exciting, I guess. You know, it's been great seeing Sauber get that tie up and, you know, some really nice-looking cars that they've uh, put on <laughs> put on display with um, Alfa Romeo, so hopefully um, they can get some good results uh, for next year as well. And yeah, that's about it for the F1. So bringing it back to IndyCar stuff now, and you know tying into supercars and everything, it was a huge news week actually last week for V8s and for IndyCar too, all related. Scott McLaughlin, you know the 
you know, worst kept secret kind of thing is out, and um, he confirms his move to IndyCar full time with Team Penske. So, leaves a bit of a bittersweet feeling, of course, with him leaving Australia and the Supercars Championship. But then at the same time, you wish him success for his journey in the US. You know, he ended up crashing on his debut. Um, he qualified 21st, of course, and uh, crashed in the race, but said that, you know, he learned so much from that weekend and everything uh joseph newgarden his new teammate actually won the race but um third for scott dixon secured a sixth title for him so he's only one championship off um equaling a record there as well in indycar but um for scotty you know huge honor to have him in the fourth full-time penske car you know three-time supercars championship championship winner you know, you've got to say, even though he's only, what, 27 years old, that he's already a legend of the sport. Um, got so many fond memories, of course. You know, it's it's one of those things where you look at, um, I'm not going to say vicariously, but, you know, just personally being a fan of his since the beginning. You look back at, you know, his, you know, debut with um, Techno and Jonathan Webb back in 2012 at Sandown, and then his first full-time season in 2013 with GRM, that first win that he had at Pukekohe, um, the commentators, you know, Matt White hearing him say, you know, he's already been likened to the great Craig Lowndes and everything, and then basically every season since he's had success, he's won races. 2014 the switch to Volvo for GRM and just the popularity that that brought you know Scotty and Volvo that was there was so much popularity around that you know they weren't able to challenge for a championship you know they're up there at Bathurst and Scotty as well every year he's been in the top 10 shootout at Bathurst but then it was the move to DJR Team Penske in 2017 that really put him at the front where he could always be fighting for a race win and for the championship 2017 really character building year I guess and you know that you know I'm not going to say tragic last race but you know that last race where he lost the championship to to Jamie Wincarp he had that crash with Craig Lowndes it was all just a bit emotional for him and everything and the fact that he rebounded from that the following year won the championship in 18 and then again for another two years in a row despite all the the acrimony you know with the mustang in 2019 bathurst as well in 2019 he still got that reputation of being a hard but fair racer and that you know you can see with the three barachine medals that he's won of course the best and fairest award in supercars you know his relationships with his race engineers as well you know you look back at what he had with um crusty holloway richard holloway of course at grm and then luda lacroix um the last few years at um dgr team penske just one of the hardest working drivers out there and you know i'm sure he's another one that i'm sure people will probably appreciate a bit later on down the track you know i was just thinking about this last night again it's like you know he was likened to craig lowndes um as you know not only a driver but also character wise is so good with the fans and now he's sitting equal on championships with the great man Lounsey. you know it's always always a bit you know you're in a bit of disbelief when you think about Lounsey and how he didn't win more than three championships but he's got seven Bathurst wins so that's that's good for him but for Scotty to now take the opportunity and go race in the US race for a team big team like Penske you know it's kind of not like Marcus Ambrose going over to NASCAR and everything kind of being in a bit of obscurity over there 
with Penske, the limelight's on you and you've got to perform. And, you know, Penske wouldn't have chosen him if he um, didn't think that Scotty was a good operator and someone who could deliver the results. So, yeah, you know, basically it is a bit of a bittersweet feeling, but, you know, it's going to make me watch IndyCar a lot more next year. I want to see where Scotty is at, you know, how he's doing. Um, of course, there's two. <laughs> you think about Scott Dixon as well. No, I'm talking about McLaughlin, of course. So see how uh, McLaughlin's doing. Uh, both of them being compatriots as well, of course, um, Kiwis, but um, yeah, you know, bittersweet feeling in the end, and just as I'm looking at the uh, big poster I have of him <laughs> above me, you know, that might make it sound like I'm a bit of a bit of a creep, bit of a fanboy, but no, it's a nice little art piece that I got, um, Tristan Groves, I think is the artist give a random plug there, why not, um, from the 2018 championship, so sits above my little office desk and everything, it's, um, awesome, so, yeah, that's Scotty, but, um, it doesn't stop there, no, we got the confirmation too that, uh, Team Penske is withdrawing from supercars, and, you know, another thing where some people thought, yep, you know, it's bound to happen, some people are like, oh, nonsense, that wouldn't happen, but, uh, here we are, six-year involvement for for Penske coming to an end and you know I've put in brackets and with a question mark a big question mark actually was it an acrimonious ending you know we look back at the timeline for Penske and supercars you know they bought a 51% stake back in 2014 so they were going to come in in 2015 of course thanks to likes Dr. Ryan Story who is the um, current team manager there or team boss or part owner whatever you want to say they expanded to two cars in 2016 of course, McLaughlin ended up joining Fabian Coulthard in uh, 2017 to lead the title assault, the first that the team had had in quite some time, of course, I think 2012 was the last time DJR won a championship with James, no, sorry, 2010 with James Courtney, so the team ended up winning the team's championship, but Scott lost the driver's title, as I said earlier, there at the final race in Newcastle, but then from 2018 onwards, we kind of saw the start of the McLaughlin three-peat, so team ended up winning two more teams championships as well, um, from 2019-2020 this year with a Mustang, and when you look at some of their numbers, um, 64 wins in total since 2017, 56 of them of course belonging to McLaughlin, and then the 2019 Bathurst 1000 win as well, um, even though it was kind of in some people's eyes, tainted. So that's where I come to the um, the acrimonious part of the whole Penske withdrawal thing. So, you know, in the official press release, of course, it's uh, cited, you know, Penske has to readjust his business, business initiatives, of course, as a result of the COVID challenges that's come up due to the pandemic. We know that Penske has withdrawn from IMSA as well, but you could kind of feel some kind of... Uh, something rumbling you know after 2019 you know the the difficult year not really you know performance wise but the difficult year that they've had off the track with all the shenanigans with parody you know the the debate about you know the mustang being you know un having an unfair advantage and everything you know rather than recognizing that it's you know just the result of brilliant engineering all done within the rules and of course bathurst as well you know the thing with 
Roger Penske is that he's a winner wherever he goes, but he races hard and he races fair. Um, he will do what he can to win, you know, whether it's, you know, get test days and all that sort of thing. But, you know, having the connotation next to his name that, you know, he cheated kind of thing, or not him directly, but what he represents, you know, the team that is representing him cheating, that probably doesn't sit very well with him. So, you know, even though they've won the Bathurst 1000 last year and, in, you know, the record books, it's going to say that he's the winner, there's always going to be that connotation and perhaps that is something as well that doesn't sit really well with him. Uh, the whole parody thing, I went on about it all the time last year because it was like, if it was in another category, if it was F1, for example, you don't see them, you know, doing parody changes in the middle of the season. Now, the engine mode ban is a whole different story, but, like, let's say, let's go to Mercedes and say, yep, we're going to, you know, we're going to, what's what's it called, you know, we're going to cap your engine to a certain amount of brake horsepower, or you're only allowed to use this much aero every weekend kind of thing. That's basically what happened to the Ford Mustang, but they still came out and won. Not because, you know, they had the best car, it was because they engineered the best car. They had Ludo working there, they had Scott, you know, one of the best drivers out there, or the best driver out there for the last three years. And it was as a result of that that they won, not because they had an unfair advantage with their car. You know, the rules for this year was designed to help the Holden teams get up there. But where were Triple Eight this year, of course? So much inconsistency from that side. So all of that, when you look at it, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if that's what made uh, Penske himself pretty bitter about this whole thing. Um, six years is still a good little period for him to come in, get some success. Of course, he's now scored himself a new driver as well to take over there to IndyCar. But it's just sad, you know, when you thought that someone like Penske would be in it for the long run, um, and it's all over now. So, you know, been been ruminating on it for a while since the announcement last week. What am I going to say and everything? And I don't really have much more to add apart from that. Um, it's good that the future for DJR looks pretty bright as well without Penske. You know, Ryan Story's got the team in good order. They're going to be kept on as the homologation team for Ford, so essentially the factory team as they transition into Gen 3 the following year with a new generation Mustang. Um, it looks likely on the driver front that um, we're going to get Anton Di Pasquale and Will Davison come in, as was rumoured a few weeks back, and Fabian Coulthard is already confirmed to be out of the team for next year, which is a bit sad, of course, but, um, you know, he was there basically as a Penske man, and, um, you know, on the DGR side of things, probably not as favourable, so a bit sad for Fabs. A lot playing out in the supercar silly season as well at the moment. Rick Kelly announced his retirement earlier this week. Um, David Reynolds possibly will end up there and who would have thought that given that he signed a 10-year deal with Erebus Motorsport but there's stuff going on there you know both drivers going to be out of course and Reynolds but perhaps his grievances are due to do with Barry Ryan the team boss there so all sorts of bits and pieces going on you know I'll probably talk more about it when it's all confirmed. I still got to do a season review for supercars too, so that'll be interesting how I fit that in. Maybe I might wait till the end of the year when F1 is finished and do, you know, two separate season review episodes and that's when I can kind of talk about them both separately and in their own little uh uh bubbles bubbles with 
heard a lot about bubbles this year. And finally, this just got announced. Bit of more breaking news on the podcast this week. Adelaide 500 axed for next year. So that's very sad. Of course, you know, Adelaide always the traditional season over for supercars. Wasn't going to be the case next year. They were thinking about possibly having it at the tail end of the season. Um, But it's just been axed altogether. So, you know, I guess difficult without crowds and everything but again you're going to blame the uh the sharona virus for that one so a bit sad but um i'll have more on it for next time but anyway that's it that's your wrap now maybe i'm gonna go hit the top shelf <laughs> i don't know i'm just glad to have a day off tomorrow but anyway guys thank you for tuning in this week Get us on Twitter, hit us up at Hit the Apex Media and everything. Be back next week to wrap up the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix from Imola. Look forward to it this weekend. So thanks, guys. Take it easy, stay safe, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>